thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guy Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And today we actually have a very special guest. Now, Nicole is someone who is very passionate in environmental medicine. I don't think we actually had too many people on environmental medicine uh, on our show yet, but uh, she's the best. She's the best-selling author of Healthy Home, Healthy Family, and uh, has been featured on every major television network. And uh, has also regularly consulted on health hazards associated with our homes. She's an accomplished naturopath, acupuncturist, and also a building biologist. I'm sure we'll find out what exactly what that is uh, she's first this is really interesting she first became interested in building biology as a result of two specific events uh, that occurred in life one being that she noticed the connection between many of her patients ill health and their homes but second was also her infertility she, the cause of her 10 miscarriages was eventually identified as an immune disorder uh, which now she suspects arise from a long-term exposure to high electromagnetic field so one of these issues were, were addressed, and she successfully gave birth to three beautiful children. So welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, Nicole, let's first ask, um, what, uh, how did you, what is a building biologist? Let's, let's start there. A building biologist is like a naturopath for the environment. They essentially look at how, what health hazards exist in the built environment from everything like particulates, lead dust, asbestos, to things like electromagnetic fields, uh, indoor air quality parameters, chemicals in household products, chemicals in building materials, drinking water contaminants, um, all of those sort of things, any way in which the home or the workplace can cause ill health. Fantastic. I mean, so you also started the Australian College of Environmental Studies as well, um, you know, back in, I think it was 1999, I think. Um, yes. Tell us about that. How does that, you know, affect us and, and what is that all about? The college began as a result of two issues. You've mentioned one, my recurrent miscarriage issues and no one being able to identify why I was having this um, fertility problem. The second was, was seeing a very strong connection between many of my patients' illnesses in their homes, particularly the issue of mould and asthma and allergies. So I was lecturing at uni then for 12 years in naturopathic philosophy and traditional Chinese medicine. And Part of my subject was teaching how holistic we were and as I started to walk into people's homes, I thought that was quite ironic because the environment was not addressed to any great degree in any of the degrees that I had done at university. So I felt there was a need to establish a nationally accredited course in building biology to train people as to how the built environment could affect children with autistic spectral disorder, allergies, chronic fatigue and multiple chemical sensitivity are often missing diagnosed by practitioners um, when in fact it could be chemical electrical sensitivity so it was really to create a niche uh, uh, in the marketplace to identify issues that people that were often weren't being addressed by the medical profession and so nicole i know from having a look at your book that there's a huge list of things that can be potential toxins in our home and in our environment but you know, what are the main ones you see what are the, the main things you want people to look out for the two big ones that keep me busy and my graduates are mould and electromagnetic fields, essentially because 
um, especially with electromagnetic fields, there are no biomarkers in the body for practitioners to pick up. So often you find a diagnosis of electrical sensitivity or chronic fatigue is done when every other form of pathology is dismissed. Um, you know, obviously cancers, autoimmune disorders, etc. and the client is still quite sick but unable to determine what is going on. So mold would be also a massive factor as to the amount of people we see with allergies and, and um, fatigue disorders which are directly attributed to mold-related issues in their home, which occur as a result of a flood or any form of dampness issues that's not addressed. It's, um, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Because a lot of people have no idea that this is actually going on. In fact, many people don't even know they've got mold behind their bedhead in their room, in their bedroom. Um, I was... I can't remember if it was you, Nicole, who was talking about this or somebody else that was talking about this that I heard recently. They went out to somebody's house um, who's who, who had a family history of asthma and allergies and all that sort of stuff, and they looked behind the children's bedhead and bang, there you go, there was a heap of mould, and they got rid of the mould or moved house, and magically all of the asthma symptoms disappeared in these children. How often do you see this is the case that people have no idea? I would say the great majority of time that would be the case. We People tend to come to us as a last resort because they've sought um, advice from all types of professionals and haven't been able to get answers to their illnesses. So once we walk into their homes, we're able to identify with a variety of different instruments, especially mould. You don't have to see it. You don't even have to smell it for it to be um, a real problem. A good example would be an, an audit I did I conducted recently and um, there was no sign of it, there was no smell and yet when we took, when we got the lab results back, um, the type of fungi that was growing was so toxic and the it explained what was going on with the couple and particularly the woman whose white blood cell count was, was so low um, that eventually it was it was related to a mould issue in a new home where the ductwork hadn't been sealed appropriately in the subfloor and all the mould was coming up through the return air vent and contaminated every surface, everything to the extent that the new house had to be demolished. Incredible, that's amazing. If, you know what, I, th I think I might have heard you on The Good Doctors. Maybe that's where I heard you. Did you talk? Yeah, that's where I heard it. No wonder it felt like I had the conversation because it just felt like so close to home. Hey, uh, Nicole, uh, I've been at a seminar over the weekend at the International Congress on Natural Medicine, and one of the amazing things that we learned there was that wheat affects everybody. So, sorry, I beg your pardon, not wheat, gluten affects everybody. Now, the degree to which gluten affects everybody is based on a number of different things. So, some people will have the genes for celiac disease, some people will have um, no genes for that, but they might have a gluten sensitivity. Um, everybody who eats um, gluten will get leaky gut syndrome, all these sorts of things. Does EMR and mould affect everybody? Yes, it's, it's like what Paracelsus said in the 15th century. It's the dose that determines the toxicity. So, you know, I think when you bombard our homes as we have in the last 10, 15 years with electromagnetic fields, particularly Wi-Fi, uh, which is a type of radio wave, the, the body reaches a threshold after which the symptoms start to develop and, and persist, especially when it comes to people who are vulnerable, like the immunocompromised children, the elderly, pregnant women. They are uniquely susceptible to this type of radiation, which was never really examined for its impact on human health. We've just bombarded our airways with this type of field. Now, generally, you'll find 
what we've done in the past with electricity, etc., most of the time that's not a problem. But with this type of electromagnetic field, particularly the wireless type, we have routers next to our head. We have mobile phones under our pillows. We have, you know, wireless routers next to children in, you know, in schools with their iPads um, downloading information all the time. And we essentially don't know the impact that that has on a growing body. Although France has recently now banned Wi-Fi in all schools, which I think is a remarkable <laughs> precedent to make and a statement about their concerns about this type of technology. Um, we can use this technology and, and use the internet and, and be technological, but we need to have some understanding of, of the, the type of impact that this can have on the body and what we need to do about that. Sorry about that. I just muted, unmuted myself. Um, there's two things I really wanted to, to, to discuss. The EMR, I'm sure we're going to discuss in a little bit later on, but I really want to get back to the, the topic of the mole because you talked, but Damien mentioned that, you know, that mole is very hard to find and you said that, you know, most people don't even realize that it's there. Could we discuss um, where, where are the typical areas in the house that we would find mole and also what, how do we actually remove it once we find it? Good questions. Now, in mold spores are everywhere from the arctic to the antarctic they're everywhere and they're not normally a problem unless you give them two things food and moisture now because most building materials are cellulose based they will love that as a food so the key to addressing all types of mold problems is to address the dampness make sure if there's any form of moisture like flooding for example that you mop that up within 24 hours you need to dry the building material out if you leave water for more than 24 to 48 hours it will then develop a mold issue because the spores are already there and they can be dormant for thousands of years and the food is already there so the key to addressing all forms of mold is to get to the source of the moisture whether it's a plumbing leak over you know, it could be um, gutters that are over full. It could be uh, obviously a flooding issue like in Brisbane. Uh, it could be due to condensation because the ventilation in the wet areas of the house, such as the laundry or the bathrooms, the humidity is and the steam is so high that the ventilation isn't adequate to remove that exhaust air. And that creates condensation. Of course, that can create a mould issue as well. I think there's a lot to be said about our buildings. We're creating such airtight buildings now and the ventilation passive ventilation is so compromised that um, it is more likely that we're going to have more mold related issues because um, of this very reason and that's a concern that I have also now in terms of addressing mold issues and actually getting rid of it the worst thing you could do is use bleach sodium hypochlorite or bleaches can actually provide a food source for many types of fungi so you know when you see the ads you know it will get rid of the mold yes it will it will bleach the mold so you can't see it but within two weeks when it grows the melanin back it, it's there because it never actually went and now you've actually fed it with some food that it likes so the key the, the mold remediators in the US are now advocating no use of biocides for mold you're much better off to use a little bit of detergent in water and what that does is emulsify the organic matter the dirt that it's feeding off um, in order to help to destroy the mold and to wipe it with a microfiber cloth and use a HEPA vacuum cleaning and so, Nicole, um, obviously you've spoken about um, you know, getting rid of all the moisture in the house, but we can go too far that way as well, can't we? Like if, we, if we're dehydrating ourselves with our air conditioning and those sort of things, then, then that can be bad for our sinuses and a whole range of other things too. So is there, is there sort of a balance we need to strike there and how do we get that balance right? Yeah, so in terms of low humidity, you do get low humidity areas 
even in Melbourne on certain days, etc., the ideal humidity levels in a home should be between 40 and 60%. But, of course, what generally happens is whatever's going on outside in the older homes, because they're not airtight, is what the humidity levels will be inside. As soon as you hit 70%, that's when there's sufficient water vapour in the air for the mould spores in the building to start germinating or sporulating. So that's the key, is to keep it between 40 and 60%, which means in high humidity areas, Areas like the tropics, you need dehumidifiers or air conditioners in order to be able to reduce the humidity levels to well below 70%. In dry areas, of course, you can get irritation of the eyes, the nose, the throat because it's so dry. Um, anything below 40% is not ideal. So it's getting a balance between that. But the way you can achieve that is to have more plants in a building, for example, which will help to increase the humidity levels. In fact, they're good at balancing humidity levels in a building. Um, in dry areas, of course, you can use steamers etc but you know you don't want to go overboard and then create the opposite problem wow this is so cool so cool hey nicole have we found that there's been an increase in diseases or increase in allergies or some of that since the floods in brisbane I haven't looked in terms since the flood in Brisbane, but I know that childhood allergies have certainly increased by 400% in the last 30 years. I mean, who has heard of a peanut-free school in the 60s and 70s when I grew up? Yeah, that's it. Just hear it. I mean, why have our children become so uniquely susceptible to allergens in food and in the environment that uh, we're not able to explain why this is so? I certainly think the environment is playing a role, and mm. you tend to find kids with food sensitivities are very likely to have environment environmental sensitivities also. So, um, Nicole, coming back to the EMF, because that was the other major one we spoke about, can you give us uh, some tips on, I guess, where we're going wrong in terms of the EMF exposure and how we can minimise that? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, the, big, the most important thing to know about electromagnetic fields is that as you double the distance away from the source, you effectively reduce your exposure by 75%, and that's called the inverse square law of physics. Yeah. So the good thing is that if you, for example, with your mobile phones, you need to keep them away from your head. So an, air, an earpiece or using loudspeaker or SMS and texting is far better because you're keeping it away from your vital organs. Um, so that's really critical, and that will reduce the exposure by at least 95%. When it comes to wireless devices, that's a problem. You're much better off using hardwired connections like cable or ADSL, so it's connected to the building wiring, which uses 50 hertz. Much better because you don't have all those issues. You don't, you're not using radio frequencies or wireless technology. You're using the actual wiring within the building. That's the best option for things like uh, internet connections and, and phones. Cordless phones, a lot of people don't realise, they also use wireless technology and, and that's a problem too. They should be treated in the same light as your mobile phone. So it's important to use hardwire connections with a, with a landline as an, a corded phone as much as possible. With wireless routers, if you choose to continue to use a wireless router, then keep it well away from where you spend time. So you'll put it in a garage or put it in the roof cavity, for example, well away from a bedroom and living spaces where you spend time because the closer you are to the router, the greater the exposure to the strength of the field. So, And, of course, turning it off at night when you go to bed is really important because it will continue to, to emit pulsed microwaves um, 24-7 whilst it's on. 
a patient uh, who comes into my practice and his whole thing that he does is he measures hot spots in buildings and he measures these hot spots using some kind of EMR device and he walks around and he finds these little hot spots that are in the walls that they would then say might be um, fire hazards I suppose and he actually you know he looks at that sort of thing and then he advises how you can you know change that or alter it or protect yourself from it or, or do whatever should, is this something that everybody should actually do for their house should they go and measure hot spots should they be looking at the you know the radiation the EMR going through the house so is he measuring infrared thermography, so temperature yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that would be used more for things like lack of insulation and um, where the building is at tight, where the, the uh, uh, temperatures are coming in, etc. and you're losing cool air and hot air, etc. So infrared thermography is useful as a building biologist for damp-related issues because you tend to get temperature changes when there's a lot of moisture within the, the wall cavities or the, the roof cavities. Um, but it, it can be restrictive too because unless there's a 10-degree difference between outside and inside, the results can be misleading. What we use instead, especially for mould, is moisture meters because the meter will pick up how much moisture is in, say, for example, gyprock or plasterboard or timber. And once it hits more than 13%, then we know mould will be actively growing because, of course, as you know, the mould spores are already there. Now, that you'll find when you touch a wall, you go, that's dry. But, in fact, the moisture meter will be saying that's wet enough that you've got mould germinating in that cavity. And that gives us a lot of useful information. When it comes to electricity, magnetic fields the free depending on the frequency as to which meter you use so we use three different types of meters for electromagnetic field exposure for electric fields we use a body voltage kit so we know what's being absorbed by the body for magnetic fields from the building wiring we're using gauss meters and for radio frequencies in telecommunications and Wi-Fi, we use high-frequency meters. So different frequencies need different meters because the uh, physics of those frequencies is very different. Just in regards to a protection point of view, obviously the two things we're talking about is mobile phones, cell phones, or the Wi-Fi. So from a health thing, uh, for mobile phones, I know there's like protective cases. Are they any benefit? And number two is that there's also these earthing mats, um, the grounding mats. Um, are they any useful for you, especially when you're someone who's um, you know, working in front of a computer? All right, so in terms of the mobile phone cases, yes, they can be useful. And you know how useful they are because if you cannot make or receive a call when that phone is in that pouch, then it's it's effective. Um, if you can still make or receive a call, um, then it depends on whether the phone is in a situation where it's being blocked from one side or not because generally these pouches will have metal within them and that will shield to some degree. So metal within the uh, casing will help to reflect the microwave frequencies away from the body. So that can be a good thing when you're when it's near your body. For women, it's ideal they've got handbags, so therefore their phone will keep at a distance to their bodies, whereas men, they tend to wear it around their belts and near the reproductive organs, which is a real problem and certainly near their heart is a problem as well. In terms of the the earthing mats, they are great to reduce the electric field and the electric field comes from the 50 hertz building wiring. So anything, any appliance that you connect into the PowerPoint will emit both an electric and magnetic field and the uh, earthing mats will be useful for the electric field. They will not address the magnetic field, which will, which will occur for any appliance that draws current uh, and they won't address the wireless issue because it's using radio waves. So it's quite technical, but the 
best advice I can give in relation to mobile phones is to keep it at a distance to your head. Use a hardwired landline connection to make and receive calls as much as possible. If you have to use your mobile, use one that has a, an earpiece so it keeps it at a distance to your head or use texting or the loudspeaker. Uh, this is fascinating, Nicole, because I've got to be honest, when I asked the question at the start about, you know, what were the biggest dangers in the house, I was expecting you to go into, you know, household chemicals and cleaners and plastics and all of those sort of things. But, but obviously, these moulds and these EMF are actually, you know, playing a really big role. But, but what about those other things? What about the other chemicals in the house? What, what are the main things we need to look out for? The one that concerns me most now are the hormone-disrupting chemicals that are ubiquitous throughout thousands of household products and building materials. The fact that breast cancer has more than doubled in the last 40 years and scientists are at a loss to explain why this is so. I mean, you can't release thousands of products with hormone-disrupting chemicals that are tuned to to have impacts on the body the lower the level. So unlike any other chemical we've released into mainstream and into our products, hormone-disrupting chemicals, it's the timing and duration of exposure that make them such a problem, especially for children and, and an unborn fetus. Because the timing, when you expose even in parts per billion or parts per trillion of these chemicals, the endocrine or hormonal system is finely tuned to respond to minute quantities. So when you have exposure standards that say there's not enough BPA in that bottle to cause problems, that's rubbish because anyone who does physiology understands that the hormonal system is finely tuned that the lower the level of exposure, the greater the response by the endocrine system. So you have chemicals that are in parts per trillion, parts per million in our or most of our food BPA, epoxy resins in our food tins. You have them in perfume, in the perfume or fragrance in your aftershave, in your moisturisers, in your conditioners and shampoos. I mean, all of us are blanketed with these chemicals every day in our cash receipts, our paper products, our food tins. I mean, where aren't they is a better question. And as a result of this, when you expose, you know, rodents studies to these small amounts of chemicals, that has implications for that rat in terms of its fertility down the track, testicular cancer, breast cancer, all of these other issues, which we're only now to, to get on top of. And I think that, you know, the, the horse has already bolted. So we have to wait epidemiologically until these diseases manifest. And then we look back retrospectively like we did with asbestos and go, oh, my God, it's too late. I think we need to act on the hormone disrupting chemicals immediately. There's a lot of plastics in our everyday products that you find them in, PVC, polystyrene, polycarbonate are the big ones, and they're found in so many people's drinking water, in their plastic products that they store their food and beverages in, and it's something that we need to go back to basics, which is simple. Glass, stainless steel would be much better options like we did prior to the, in- the development of all these plastics. Of course, of course. Now, that, I mean, that's glass and stainless steel. It's, it sounds great. It's very difficult, it seems, for uh, babies to drink out of a stainless steel or a glass bottle, for example. Um, and many people are aware of the whole BPA thing because for whatever reason. I don't know if it came out through Greenpeace or whatever actually happened with BPA, how it got out there, but it is out there, which is great uh, in terms of its understanding. Are BPA-free plastics okay? Are they all right? Or are we still looking at another potential contaminant? If you look at the study a year ago, five, they researched 500 products marketed as BPA-free and they found estrogenic activity in over 90% of those 500 products. Some of those uh, products 
released estrogenic activity that was significantly higher than what you would find in BPA. So what happens is, is that the manufacturer responds to consumer concern by creating a product that's free from the one that the consumers are worried about, BPA. But they don't assess the new plastic and the other monomers they add instead of the BPA to see if that too is also going to be a problem because they're not scientists, they're not researchers. So they'd simply respond to human concern and because everything comes back to dividends for shareholders, they create a product that's BPA-free. A lot of these BPA-free have BPS, bisphenol S, so, you know, still part of the same family, still monomer, and it's also showing hormonal disruptive uh, effect in rodent studies. So I would always say, look, I mean, you and I, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, I grew up, I went as a child, as a baby, my mother had glass baby bottles. There were no other options. Uh, stainless steel, I, that's what my kids, my kids, the twins are six now and the little one is three, and they drink from stainless steel bottles and, and glass. You know, if we break it, then I clean it up and I just use another one like we did in the past. Mm. So, Nicole, um, one of the things that uh, obviously people are going to be wondering is how to clean the house then? You know, all the, have you talking about all this stuff about chemicals and stuff? How do you clean your house? What, you know, what would you use? The best thing you could use are microfiber cloths. Look, the less chemicals you can use, the better. So good microfiber cloths so that you can damp dust the house so you're not moving the dust around the place. Um, uh, I'd also suggest a good vacuum cleaner. It's probably the most expensive thing I recommend in the whole book is a good vacuum cleaner with a HEPA filter and a motorised head to be, to dig up and to, um, you know, suck up all those allergens that you typically find in most carpets and things. I have to say my husband and I sold our home to create a cleaning product range for people with chemical sensitivities and we're still renting because of that. <laughs> But uh, we launched our, our Bode cleaning product range to help with people with chemical sensitivities because there was very little on the market apart from soap nuts that a lot of these people could use that, that they wouldn't react to. So, Nicole, we're getting close to the end here. So I guess, you know, in terms of actionable steps that, that our fans and listeners can, can take on board, you know, what would be the top sort of three to five things you'd really like to see them do and change in their households? To take their shoes off before they go in the home. That will effectively reduce by at least 50% dust and therefore all the things that are, are in dust, chemicals, flame retardants, pesticides, pet dander, um, lead dust, all of those sort of things, microbes. That's probably one of the best advice I could give. It would be to clean with microfiber cloths as much as possible and to think about, you know, how they position their bed, make sure it's not near known hazards like you know electromagnetic fields digital clocks need to be at least a meter and a half away mobile phones shouldn't be charged in a bedroom have a look at what's on the other side of your bed and make sure there's not a fridge where the motor's going on and off all night and creating high magnetic fields simple things like that can make a big difference to people's quality of health Hey, and Nicole, what if we're not wearing shoes outside of the house? Does that mean that when we come inside, we have to put our shoes on? <laughs> no, you put your slippers on like what they do in culture. Gotcha. I gotcha. love it, brother, because Brett doesn't wear shoes. So yeah. that's, that's, a, that's his He's, point. Yeah. <laughs> he lives in a cave, so he doesn't have a house, so it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nicole, what about uh, things like you said, you mentioned about the clock, just a kind of quick follow-up here on the clocks. And what about baby monitors? You know, like obviously the baby monitors got, you know, for, for parents who actually use baby monitors, would you advise not to use them at all? Yes. Okay. Unless that child is at risk of sudden infant death syndrome and it's justified, I would say baby monitors 
especially the cordless devices, are a real problem. And you're talking like Mm. putting the equivalent of a wireless router within half a metre of a child. Mm. Now, we often find these kids do not sleep well. They have very restless sleep and they're moving constantly in their cot. And and once we get rid of that and move them away from the source of electromagnetic field, all of a sudden these children are sleeping through the night. This is something they should not be having, you know, in close proximity to their bodies. If you must have a, a, a baby monitor, then make it a hard wide connection that you have to plug into the PowerPoint and keep it at least a metre and a half away from the cot. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's pretty amazing cool. stuff. Yeah, well, um, guys, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm blown away with all this stuff. And so uh, I'm really excited um, because Nicole is actually going to be speaking at the Wellness Summit in Melbourne uh, in August. So I'm you know, I'm sure all our listeners right now are pretty excited. And that's one, one of the, only one of the reasons why you should be uh, be in Melbourne uh, for the Wellness Summit. So please make sure you go to thewellnesscouch.com and, and find out how you can register for this event. Nicole, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. It's been fantastic. If you want to find out more information about Nicole and, and what she's talking about, she's got a great best best-selling book called Healthy Home, Healthy Family. Uh, you can get the uh, book from her website, and you can there's a lot of information on the website as well, which is buildingbiology.com.au. So make sure you go check that out. Thank you so much, Nicole. So that's another great episode, guys. I'd love to hear your comments on this. Uh, go to our Facebook page uh, on facebook.com slash guys. I'd love to know what you think about it, what things that you change in your house that has made it more friendlier and healthier. Of course, always go to thewellnesscouch.com to find out more information about what we're doing in all the episodes. But more importantly, go to iTunes, subscribe to us, and uh, give us a five-star rating because Damien just loves that. So until next week, begin creating wells into our lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch. Streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Damien Christoph from 100 Not Out here. You know that your health is a direct reflection of your peer group, right? So have you thought about bringing a group of people to our Melbourne Wellness Summit? Your colleagues, your friends or your family? We've got great packages for 10 or more people to the summit, which will be held at Crown in Melbourne on Saturday, August 17. It's going to be 10 hours of powerhouse wellness featuring my Wellness Guys teammates, of course, the Up For A Chat girls, world-class exhibits, and loads more. For group discounts and to secure your spot, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com.